<laughs> Great to see you guys. Thank you so very much for being here. For those of you in Plymouth, if you're a guest, welcome. For all of you, we're so glad you're here. We have, we have four campuses. We are one church in four different locations, so I always like to say a big hey to Northridge Grosseal, Northridge Saline, Northridge Brighton. We're so glad that you're with us and a part of our ministry, and we're always looking for other ways to get what we do here out into the world. You know, there are seven billion people on this planet who could use a little bit of hope, and, and what we do here, I think, could engage a lot of people. So we're looking for other places to release our services into, and it's weird. We had this recent discovery. There's this thing called the Internet. Have you ever heard of that? It's crazy out there. Uh, but seriously, we are... We are beginning to live stream all of our services on our website. And so every time, which is awesome, every time we do a service here in Plymouth, it'll be live streamed on our website, northridgechurch.com. You just have to drop down the content that says watch live and you can be there. So here's the key. When, when you're away and you can't get here where we gather, you can be a part of it. You can connect with it. And if you have friends around the world, you can get them to connect with it as well and be a part of it. It's just a, another way that we can share the story of Jesus' hope in this world. And so we, we hope that you'll do that. And, and for, the, for those of you who are here now for the first time ever, you'll be able to watch all four of my talks every weekend. And... Uh, <laughs> Great opportunity, I'm sure you'll take advantage of. But uh, I, I want you to know, too, we have a Northridge app, and you can get it on the App Store. And the reason I mention it this weekend is we gave our print service team Thanksgiving off, and so you don't have the printed outline of this weekend's talk, but it is on the Northridge app. So for those of you who, like get anxiety and need Valiums when you're not able to have that outline in your hands, man, pull it up on the Northridge app and you can take part in that. And this, this, this song that we just introduced the talk with is just a great concluding song for this series. Uh, all, all our hope is in Jesus. I mean, that, that's just, this series has been all about hope. That's what this series has been about. And, and it's hard for me to believe that we just watched the, the Domino's video for the very, very last time that though chapter 29 has been such a personal and meaningful series for me, one that took about two to three years to, to finally know uh, it was time to share that conversation with you, that it's, it's coming to an end is, is quite difficult for me, actually, because... I just believe the basis and the underlying point of chapter 29 is so essential. So many people believe that what God once did, he's no longer doing. So many people wish that they could have been a part of the stories that God wrote in the life and the church of the early believers and followers of Jesus, but they, they've got it all wrong. Just because Acts only has 28 chapters in the Bible doesn't mean God has stopped writing his story. And the truth is that God can write the exact same story in our lives that he's written in other people's lives if we'll choose to let him. And so chapter 29 becomes the point. And this series has been about hope, which the world so desperately needs, which each and every one of us so desperately needs. And, and yet, though it's been a couple thousand years since God started writing this story, most people still don't know about it. Hope is what Jesus came to give us. And if I could just 
anchor one thought into your soul, it would be this. When we let God write the story of our lives, hope becomes our story. And yet we are living in a world where even those of us who call ourselves by his name, Christian, many of us do not have stories with the primary theme being hope. Most of us live the story of disappointment and the story of betrayal and the story of failure and the story of sadness and the story of longing for something more. We live all kinds of stories, but very seldom is it the story of hope. But when, when we let God write our story, no matter what the circumstances or context of our life, hope takes the center seat, which is what we long for, which is what we need. That's why here at Northridge, we've decided to declare our vision, our, our view of what the future should be in these words. We just want to see our world changed by the hope of Jesus. It's why he came. It's why he's left us here. It's why he writes that story in our lives. And shouldn't that be the impact that our world is changed by the hope of Jesus? And, and that's what chapter 29 has been about. If I were asked to summarize chapter 29 succinctly, and if you... If you're more than a guest, if you've known me any amount of time, you know succinctness and, and, and my talks don't necessarily have anything in common. But if I was to give the succinct summary of chapter 29, I could give it to you, I could describe it to you in 16 words. And it happens to be the mission of our church, which really is all about declaring what chapter 29 is. It's to wake the world up to Jesus, to show them his love, to tell them his truth, to involve them. I mean, in the book of Acts, when God was writing his story, these people woke up to Jesus and experienced the profound love that the world doesn't offer, but that Jesus did. The, the truth in a world of deception that they experienced freed them from all the lies that our, our cultures and our world has been based upon throughout history. And and then in a world that excludes and isolates, they experience the involvement of being in God's family and in God's kingdom advancement on this world. And, and as a result, they wanted to wake their world up to those things. And that's really what we should be about as well. If I was going to summarize chapter 29 with one picture, one way that I could portray it, I believe I could do it with one story that God gave us in the book of Acts. And so I've, I've actually held this story in reserve for this whole series so that I could, I could end with this story because it's the picture of what God wants for you. It's the picture of what God wants for me and for our world, for our community of believers here. And it's found in Acts chapter 3. And it's verses 1 through 10, and I'm going to read it, and I'll take a couple of breaks for some commentary, but, but I want you to see this story. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth, absolutely unable to function physically in the way the body's designed to function, lame from birth, was being carried, couldn't walk, couldn't get there was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every single day of his life so that he could every day beg from those going into the temple courts. So here's this person who was experiencing the devastation of darkness and 
and hurt and pain in this world. And it's interesting in this context because Peter and John had become followers of Jesus. And as followers of Jesus, they had been transformed by this story of hope. Now, don't get me wrong. They had experienced despair and disappointment. They knew despair and disappointment before they ever met Jesus. Then they found him and thought he was going to write the story of hope in their lives. And then he died and was buried. And they lived for those three days that he was buried in the deepest and darkest despair. They knew what it was like to be without hope. But then Jesus rose, literally transformed the world. Even death no longer could rob us of the hope that God wanted to write into our lives. Even death couldn't rob us of the life he designed us for. And so they were transformed. Everything had changed for them. They went from despair to hope, from lost in darkness to being alive in total light, from being totally empty to filled to overflowing. But, but as much as they had been changed, their world hadn't been changed. Here's this guy still suffering. This person who had done nothing to deserve it, who was debilitated physically. Sadness and suffering still defined the world, even though they had hope. And this man was a great reminder, but, but this story shows us that no matter what the condition of a person's circumstances, the story of hope could rewrite their lives. So the, the passage, the story goes on. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple... He asked them for the only thing he thought he needed, for the only thing that he thought could make his life better. He asked them for money. He was asking for alms, you know, alms. Give me some charity. Give me something so that I can, I can feed myself and survive and exist for another day. And this is the best he could hope for. I mean, he wasn't going to be able to walk. Never been able to do that. And so all he could hope for was maybe someone would give him a little money today for some temporary help and some temporary relief so that he could cope and exist. He couldn't imagine more. The story continues. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. I think that sentence is really important because if you've ever been in an environment where someone impoverished has been begging, more than likely, the natural thing wasn't to look at them. The natural thing was to look past them. Isn't that what most people do? They looked at them. And then Peter said, look at us, because the natural thing for the one begging is very often to be defined by shame and loss and despair and not to look, just to beg. And so Peter said, look at us. And the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. And then Peter said these dramatic words, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And then Peter, taking him by the right hand, helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong, and... He who could never walk since the time he was born jumped to his feet and began to walk. Now, now let's just call it what it is. This is a miracle. I mean, it's not normal. It's a miracle. And according to chapter 4, verse 22 of the book of Acts, this man was 40 years old. So 40 years of despair, 40 years paralyzed, 40 years unable to walk or care for himself, 40 years all he could do was 
beg, and he couldn't even do that without people carrying him from one place to another. Forty years, not even close to a normal life, and the best he could hope for was the ability to survive, to get temporary relief. Forty years of existing, day after day after day, and then, without warning, he went from total hopelessness to total hope. I mean, for the first time, he experienced physical life as it was meant to be experienced. And it took a miracle. He was transformed. And here's what I want you to see about the story. He needed a miracle, and he got one. That's awesome. I love that. And then the story continues. Then, then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. <laughs> Once he could, I can walk. I'm not going to stop with walking, baby. I'm going to be jumping and leaping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. He had been so defined by his inability to walk and work and simply begging for another day of existence that, that they recognized him. But now he was nothing like that. He was transformed. Everything changed. They were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Okay, let's just say it up front. Great story. Believe in miracles or not, that's a great story. But when you really understand that God who created this natural realm can live outside of its natural laws and do stuff like this, when you really know that and you see it happen, you go, awesome. But quite frankly, many of us, after saying awesome, then get a little bit introspective and often get a little disappointed. Because we go, wait a minute. How come he gets it and we don't? I don't get it. Why is God so random in, in his miracle working power? How come he doesn't do this more? And of course, God has his reasons. But when we, when we look at this story and we feel like this guy got something that we don't get, we miss the whole point. Because the reality is this guy didn't get from God something that is not offered to us, but in a far bigger way. Our problem is that we put too much emphasis. We're so used to begging for alms, for temporary relief, for coping, that we make too big of a deal physical miracles when they're not even close to the spiritual miracles that every single one of us need and God offers all the time. Because this guy who was healed physically, and it's a big deal and it's awesome that God did this, he still got sick again and he still died and those legs stopped working because this was still, though a miracle of God, just temporary relief. But God offers something far more miraculous and something far bigger, and it's pictured in this story. Here's the reality I want you to see. This is us. God hasn't forgotten about us. God hasn't left us out. God hasn't been unfair. This is us. Just as this man was born without normal physical function, so we are born without normal function spiritually. 
David identified it. it. We were born messed up. David in Psalm 51 verse 5 finally came to grips with why he was making such tragic and devastating decisions that ruined his life, his family, and his kingdom for a time. Why am I so messed up? I'll tell you why. Because I was born messed up. He says it in Psalm 51.5. I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Just as this man had been born physically lame, so David had been born spiritually lame. Unable to know God, to experience God, to live for God. Unable to know the fullness that only God can place in us. And the truth is that as David, so are we. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Why? Because we were born spiritually unable. Spiritually lame. Spiritually incomplete. And Ephesians 2.1 says, as for you, it's even worse than this man who's Limbs were paralyzed. Our soul is paralyzed because you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Actually dead. You see, sin paralyzes us. It prevents us from functioning according to our design. Because of our rebellion against God, we're separated from God, never really able to live. Oh, we breathe and our hearts beat, but we don't live. There's... Always this something that's missing. There's always this something haunting us because it's wrong. We, we need help desperately, just like the man in this story. But, but just like the man in this story, the help doesn't fix us. It helps us cope. Keeps us existing, making it through another day. But like the guy in the story... It turns out nothing the world can give us does anything to solve our problem. Isn't that true? Every day he had to beg again. Excited he got a coin so he could eat and exist and then he realized nothing was fixed. The problem was still there. And isn't that how we experience life? I see it in me. I, I mean, every single day of my life when I'm not looking for hope in Jesus, I'm, I'm begging alms in this world, trying to get something that will fix my brokenness and overcome my guilt or overcome my emptiness. And I mean, we do it in the stupidest of ways, don't we? I mean, it's like, man, maybe if I could have a new car, whoo, I'd fill the emptiness. Did the last one? Maybe if I could, bigger house, better job, new goal, get rid of this spouse, get another one. Maybe if that happened, then everything would be okay. Did it, ha did it work last time? Because the spouse you want to get rid of now, so you can get a better one, was the better one before. <laughs> Think about that. We're trying to fill the emptiness with stuff that can't fill the emptiness. We keep sabbing the pain. We keep trying to heal the problem with alms. But this story is the picture of our lives because alms, temporary relief, is all the world offers. It's the ability to cope, and it, it doesn't fix us. Especially when we know our 
poverty when we know how little we have. But did you know that even when you experience all the best that the world can give you, it still leaves you unable to function in life? Did you know that? Still leaves you empty? I tell you what, there's this book in the Old Testament called Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. I'm telling you, if you're one of those people that just want to get more and more and more depressed, this is your book. I mean, it's, <laughs> whew, it's like discouraging. Because this guy who had everything is the one who wrote it, and it turns out he was one of the most prosperous people in the world. He had everything money could buy, and one of the most powerful people in the world. He had every influence that power brought to bear, and he could... He had nothing blocking him from pursuing every point of pleasure he could pursue, and he did it. And you know what his conclusion was? After he had taken everything the world could offer, do you know what he said? Man, it's all worthless. It's like chasing the wind. I'm nothing. Just like the guy sitting at Gate Beautiful at the temple, realized it doesn't matter how many coins I get today, I'm still broken. I still can't function. I, uh, I'm not fixed. So is the spiritual person who is distant from God. You see, the world and what it offers can help us to cope, but it doesn't fill us. In the end, we always find ourselves where we were before. And isn't it funny? We just keep then changing the goal. Well, this job didn't do it, but the next one would. And this degree didn't do it, but the next one will. And that bonus didn't do it, but the next one will. And that president didn't do it. Maybe the next one will. Good luck. Um, <laughs> we keep changing the goal. Isn't it weird? We keep trying to fill the emptiness with stuff that can't fill the emptiness. And we're so desperate, we keep doing it. But Jesus made it clear that it would never do it. Look what he said in John 15, 5. I'm the vine. I'm the source of life. You're the branches. If you, like a branch and a vine, remain in me and I in you, then, hey, man, you're going to live with hope. You'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. All the world gives us is the ability to cope but you know, here's the reality we can see from this one picture that God gives us in Acts chapter 3, from this one man's story. Jesus came to give us real hope. Jesus came to give us the cure. And I don't know about you, but I, I look at that guy at Gate Temple begging, and, and then I look at him leaping and jumping, and I go, I want that in me. And the good news is I can have that in me and you can have that in you. Because Jesus didn't come to give us just another means of coping. He came to give us absolute transformation. He didn't come to give us just nice, moral, positive, cutesy little teaching that makes us feel good for a moment, but revolutionary truth that heals, that frees us to function normally, to know and walk with and live for God now and forever. Jesus didn't come to give us temporary relief, but eternal deliverance. He came to give us spiritual hope so we can walk spiritually and leap spiritually and praise God spiritually and for the first time ever, stop begging and start living. That's what Jesus came to give us.
Ultimately, the church isn't here to talk politics and philosophy, psychology, or any other issue of temporary relief. The church is here to talk Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, who is the cure for the problem with our soul. Isn't it sad that we would rather talk about alms than experience the cure? We have hope, and his name is Jesus. And like the guy in the story, we need a miracle. And the good news is that no matter who we are or how messed up we are or how long we've been messed up, for him it was 40 years, God has a miracle waiting for us. He hasn't forgotten us or our need. Jesus came to help us rise up and walk spiritually. This guy is us. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of our sin, that which we were born with, is death. I mean, I'm sorry, we're spiritually lame and incapable of living life it was designed to live, but that's okay because the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's the truth of chapter 29. Here's the truth of life. Jesus is the only source for real hope. It's not going to be found in the things you ask him for. Jesus, you're not my hope, but you might be my genie in a bottle. And so I'm going to turn to you in hopes that you can give me what I think will fix my problem. The spouse or the job or the money or the car or the house or the, or the, the legs. You fix that and I'll be okay, but you're wrong. Those are just temporary things. But if you turn to him for him, you're going to find what you really need, hope. John 10, 10, he said it, I've come that they can have life and have it in all of its fullness. Ephesians 2, 12 says, remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, you were without hope and without God in the world. That's true because if you're without Jesus, you're without hope because if you're without Jesus, you're without God. But the good news is you don't have to be without Jesus. The miracle of Jesus coming the miracle of Jesus dying, the miracle of Jesus rising was for you, and you can know hope. But you need to know that real hope can't be experienced by working for it. It didn't matter how much this guy, born lame, tried to walk. He could have gone to physical therapist 23 hours out of 24 every day of his life, and he would have never walked. He had no capacity to walk, no matter how hard he worked. And the same is true with us spiritually. Did you know that? Religion keeps trying to teach us that if we work hard enough, we can become right with God. No, you can't any more than this guy could walk. If he worked hard enough. We have nothing to offer. We don't have the capacity. We were born without it. All we can do is hold our hands out in hopes that we receive something. And here's the good news. If we hold our hands out to Jesus, we'll receive something all right. Real hope. Real hope cannot be experienced by our works, but real hope can be experienced by his grace, grace. Jesus doesn't help us cope. 
Jesus cures us. Which is why I'm so saddened as I look out around the landscape of Christianity and why I'm so saddened by my own journey at times. Because in the name of Jesus, more often than not, we're just trying to cope. Asking him to give us what we need to cope to exist another day. As we talk to God, the only one we need for all the hope we need, we bypass him to try and beg alms. Oh God, just a little bit more money so I can get by this day. Just a little more stuff so I can be happy today. Just a little bit of love, a little bit of acceptance from a world that doesn't offer it very well and, and I'll get through another day. How sad is that when, when he doesn't help us cope, he can actually cure us? Why would you keep taking chemo if you could be cured? Dumb. Instead of looking for alms, we need to look to the Almighty. That's where hope is. And you need to know this. Religion, the best religion can do is to help us cope. But the worst that Jesus can do is give us hope. Why don't we look to him? Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says it. You can't get it by works, but you can get it by grace, for it is by grace, verse 8, 8 and 9 of Ephesians 2. It is by grace you've been saved through faith. It is by grace you can rise up and walk spiritually. It's by grace that you can know God. It's by grace that you can be forgiven. It's by grace that you can know life and life to the full. By grace through faith. It's not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not by your works so that no one can boast. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 is a really important passage when we put it in juxtaposition with Acts chapter 3 because many of us are still trying to grapple with, yeah, but I don't get it, I don't get it, I don't get it. Well, I could be happy too if, if God healed my physical problem. I could be happy too. I could leap and walk and praise if God would do a physical miracle for me like this guy. But what you don't know is that he was leaping one day, but unless Jesus was in him, the next day he would have been just as depressed walking as he was sitting and begging. Because most of us can walk, but most of us don't have joy. What we have to realize is that that his grace is sufficient, and that's why this passage needs to be juxtaposed with Acts chapter 3, because Paul was asking God to do a miracle in his physical life like he had done in that lame man's life. I'm dealing with thorns in my flesh. My, my physical life is just messed up, whatever that was, and, and I want you to deliver me. You healed the lame guy. Heal me. That'll make me happy. And you know what Jesus said to him? No, it won't. And Jesus actually said there are, are reasons I'm not going to heal you physically, but know this, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul should have been discouraged and depressed and despairing. He should have realized that God's word isn't true and God's not fair and he should have walked away, but did he know, no matter what his experience, in prison, persecuted, 
rejected, hurting physically, no matter what his experience, you know what his story was defined by? Hope. Because he knew life would not be life just because he wasn't in prison. Life would not be life just because these thorns in his flesh, whatever they were, were taking away. Life became life when Jesus went in him and everything else became inconsequential. My grace is sufficient for you and you need to know his grace is sufficient for you. For all your needs and all your circumstances for now and eternity. And so what we just have to do is we have to decide, am I going to look to real hope and the cure or am I going to keep begging alms? And so it, the application, I think, is where it gets important. And just so you know where I'm going, I'm going to give you a couple of thoughts of application and then give you an opportunity to step into that. And then I'm going to give you the results of living in this real hope. And that should give you the hope that no matter how long I go, there will come a point in time when I stop. <laughs> Here's the application. In order to experience Jesus' real hope, we must, first of all, recognize our desperate need. We have to recognize our desperate need. The, the, the guy sitting and begging at that gate called Beautiful knew his need and he knew it was desperate. That's why he had people carrying him and why he was begging. Isn't it interesting in the physical realm, it's easy to recognize a desperate need, but in the spiritual realm where it's far more intense and far more significant, it's so easy for us to pretend we don't have the need. God, it's dumb, but it's true. We keep thinking that we can cure ourselves. We keep thinking that Getting the same thing a little bigger next time will, will cure us, and it just won't. And we have to realize that we have this desperate need. We were born spiritually incapable. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. It, it begins, though, with the acknowledgement, the confession, the recognizing of our sin, of our need. Many people don't get there. Have you ever gotten to the place where you've realized no matter how religious you get, you're still broken, dysfunctional, and paralyzed spiritually? Have you ever been able to admit that you really have messed up to such a degree that you're not deserving of God in your life? If not, no wonder you can't find hope. You don't even, you don't even know you're sick. And we live in a world that that's so deceived, they really don't believe they're sick. It's weird to me. They, they read the news, they just don't think through it. What, what makes this happen? The evil within. But once we recognize our desperate need, then we need, if we're really going to experience hope, to look to him. I spent a lot of time personally, not in this talk, but personally on that thought that they looked straight at him and then they said to him, look at us. And I did a lot of thinking about why and it's, it's because until we look out in the right direction, it's never going to change us and the only right direction is Jesus. Look to him. We have to look to him. Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who looks to him, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Here's what I know, you, you need a miracle. 
That's not in question. Here's the question. Have you experienced it yet? Some of us would rather God give us a job than save our soul. So in this moment, before I move forward in the talk, I'm just going to give you this opportunity to, to recognize your need and to look to him. And so I'm going to ask you if you're in whatever environment you're experiencing this talk, if you just bow with me in just a word of prayer, just honor the moment for a moment. And if you're ready to experience his hope, take my words in this prayer and make them yours. Just in your heart, quietly to God, just say, God, I... I do have a desperate need for you. Like David, I, and I, I was born in sin, choosing to live contrary to your way. But I need you. And so I, right now, I'm looking to Jesus. Jesus, you died on the cross for me. I believe it. And once buried, you rose again so I could have new life. I need it. And I'm just asking you to save me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, just before I share the results, I, I just really encourage you, if you just took that step with me, don't hide it. Let us know. And we put together a letter about next steps that you can take in your relationship with God. And to get that letter to you, we just need to know you prayed with me. So in your program, we put this little connection card Self-explanatory, you can rip it out, fill it out, answer the questions, and then there are boxes at every exit. You can just throw it in there and we'll send you that letter. And I know some of you are watching right now live streaming. Some of you are watching, you know, uh, this is a point of history actually, but you're watching it on demand. And I just hit the what next button and we'll send you the same letter to help you take steps forward. And I also want you to know, for those of you gathered in our services, we have a prayer team that meets up front after every service. And if you're wanting someone to pray with or to talk to about what's going on in your life, just come forward after the service is over and they're down here. They'd love to get with you and pray with you. But what are the results? Uh, the reason I like this picture of this guy's story so much is because he wasn't just healed with this miracle, but, but there were some obvious results in his life. And the first result that is obvious to me is he was unbelievably grateful Right? I mean, it's hard to miss this. He was walking and leaping and praising God. Probably fairly obnoxious if you think about it. Right? Loud boys are, ah, praise God, shut up. Praise God, shut up. I mean, he, he was grateful. Yeah. No one had to tell him to be grateful. He knew his desperation. He knew the power of that miracle. And you couldn't shut him up. Because he was grateful, and that's what God says we should be like. Ephesians 5.20, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's really more of a description than a command. When you've experienced real hope, you are always giving thanks to God the Father for everything because nothing can rob you of hope no matter how bad it is, and you're grateful for it. Do you see that? He says, we should always be thanking God for everything. Political election results? Everything. 
Too many of us are looking for hope in alms, political elections and philosophies and practical considerations in the economy and terrorism and this and that. Those things can be important, but they are not what give and take hope. That's from within. And when we have Jesus in us, we should be grateful for everything. Everything. In everything. Knowing he has a purpose, knowing he has a reason, are you grateful for the real hope? You know, it's really weird. We, we're kind of a lively ministry most of the time, and our... Uh, the people up here who lead us in worship, sometimes they just are like out of control, aren't they? I mean, they walking and leaping and turning and dancing. And I mean, they're doing all kinds of stuff up here. And what's amazing to me is that there are some people who don't like that. I get letters and saying, those people, man, they're moving too much up there. When you know you've experienced a miracle from God, you can't help but rejoice. The people who have a hard time with people praising God by leaping and all that stuff, those are people who are looking for religion to help them cope, but they haven't found the cure that gives them hope, and when they do, they'll get excited too. That's what we need to be, excited about stuff. Look, and if you want to go to a funeral, there are plenty of churches who still think Jesus is dead. This ain't one of them. I have no passion about this at all. I'm just trying to get through my talk. I don't know. It is really hard to watch people begging alms when the cure is available. It's really hard. It's really hard to know people come to Northridge and they're begging alms when the cure is available. And gratitude's one of the great results. And then you know what happens? This picture shows us once again, we, when we experience real hope, we'll share the real hope. We'll share it. We, you know, you can't help but be grateful. You can't help but share. This guy wasn't, you know, he couldn't hide it. He was like, what happened to you? Miracle. <laughs> awesome. What, what Peter and John, who also experienced, they didn't get healed from legs that didn't work, but they got healed in their soul. And, and you know what they said to this guy? They said, you know what, we don't have what you're looking for. We, we don't have silver or gold, but... But what we do have, we're going to give to you. Have a little Jesus. And it changed his world. And, and this is what I want you to see. Our world needs Jesus because not only is this guy a picture of us, but this guy is a picture of every single person in our world. Everyone you will ever meet and lock eyes with anywhere in the world is born begging for alms. And you have the ability to introduce them to real hope. Why wouldn't you share the story? Well, they might not like me. Who gives a crap? 
they might not like me. But they'll have hope or they'll know where they can get it. It's about time we care more about other people's need than how they feel about us. This guy didn't care about anybody. I can walk. God is real. Isn't it time we leave here and go out and start jumping up and down and saying, there's hope in this world, there's hope in this world, there's hope in this world, and his name is Jesus. Man, it'll change the world. All right. Uh, you know, I could almost be done here, I guess. But uh, <laughs> another result is our world, when we really experience real hope and we really do live it and share it, our world will be changed by that hope. And I don't know about you, but that's what I want for our world. I don't want a world unable to function as God designed them to, begging alms and thinking that's all that they can imagine and expect. I want a world to know that they can be changed by real hope. Jesus said it could happen, Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds. Man, let your light shine so that they can see the cure in your life and so that they can glorify your Father in heaven, they can experience the cure. And so chapter 29, let me just kind of conclude, and it's so difficult for me to conclude this series, but let me just conclude the whole series this way. This is now the world we live in, a world begging alms, a world living in despair, not even capable of imagining anything different. But this is not the world we have to be in, that we have to have. If we experience the hope and we share the hope, Hope can go viral. This is now our world, but it doesn't have to be our world. And so, I don't know about you, but I, I just think it's about time we give our life, our story to God to write so that he can write a story of hope in us. And when other people then read that story of hope, they can find hope. And eventually, you know what will happen? Our world, world will be changed by the hope of Jesus. And I think that's a world we'd all rather live in. So let's start right now letting God write the story. I'm so glad you were here. We'll see you next time.